can someone just give me a quick mic check please make sure that everyone can hear me بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد So welcome to another session of QP and inshallah ta'ala today is um, inshallah ta'ala uh, we're going to continue with the tafsir of suratul balad uh, before i begin i want to apologize beforehand and in advance uh, for my sore throat and uh, slightly um, blocked nose I, I think i have a slight cold so uh, please uh, excuse me for that um, so last week and the couple of weeks before, just so that we have some context as to where we are in the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad, we have the statements of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when Allah Azza wa Jal is, is mentioning to us the blessings that is bestowed upon mankind. And those blessings include, as we know, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, the blessing of eyesight, of having eyes, the blessing of having a tongue and lips, and the blessing of being able to be guided or to at least distinguish between good and evil and truth and truth and falsehood and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after mentioning those blessings that Allah Azza wa Jal has bestowed upon mankind Yijalla fi ulah says as we mentioned last week so why doesn't this person then take the aqaba and we mentioned last week that the lahya the scholars differed at tafsir in terms of its exact function within the verse some of them said that it's referring to it being with the meaning of negation of lam that this person didn't take the aqaba meaning that they just spent their life um, in neglect in heedlessness not knowing uh, not knowing whatever it is that's going on and then this person Allah Azza negates from them therefore this uh, this aqaba that they didn't take that path of the aqaba and others from amongst the scholars of tafsir said that the meaning is or if only or why didn't this place person instead use those blessings to take the aqaba and they are very similar in terms of the overall meaning and the overall objective of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the message that Allah Azza is trying to give to us this person either they're not going to use those blessings for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to come closer to Allah Azza or it is a question that Allah is posing why don't they use that instead of using those blessings in heedlessness and neglect of in negligence of Allah's remembrance and worship, why not use them in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that helps the person to build the akhirah? And then we said that the meaning of iqtahama from the very linguistic Arabic point of view is someone who throws themselves into something without really thinking, without really uh, without really any or, or much care for themselves. They just go full into something. And the aqaba is considered to be a path that is extremely difficult to traverse, a path that is difficult to walk through. And some of the scholars said that in the Arabic language it often refers to a mountainous path, a path that weaves up and into the mountains and it is a difficult path because of the way that it is. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks this question or he make, makes this statement depending on which of the two tafsirs you go for and then Allah azawajal asks the question وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا and what will allow you to know what the aqaba is. And then from verse 13 onwards, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will now mention, or, or for the next few verses anyway, Allah azza wa will now mention what is the aqaba, what are the difficult things that a person can do in terms of using those blessings, using the abilities and the skills that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to them in a way that then brings them closer to Allah azza wa in a way that brings them towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as opposed to takes them away from him. So last week we ended by mentioning the first one which was in verse number 13 and that is Fakku Raqaba and just so that we can keep these verses kind of in context we'll go through this 
particular verse again somewhat maybe as not as much depth as we did last week but just so that we understand and then inshallah ta'ala we'll go on to verses 14 onwards because they are all together Allah says it is to free a slave so the first type of way that difficult path that a person can take is by freeing a slave now know that as we know that there are many paths that, that a person can take that will bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but Allah is mentioning here some of the greatest acts of worship and also some of the most difficult to perform and so the person for example can go and help someone else by giving them charity goes and helps someone else by giving them a, a, lending them a helping hand Someone goes and helps someone else by giving them advice, offering them advice when they need it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't mention those that that's not to diminish their status or to take away from their importance or the reward that a person has for performing those actions. But rather it is instead here to focus on something else. And that focus is the aqaba, that a person goes to the utmost that they can and they go to the highest level that they're able to go to and they go to that level of excellence uh, which is you know far past what, what they would think they were capable of they keep going for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's clearly what we see in the lives of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een when you have the likes of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu comes and on one occasion gives everything that he owns for the sake of Allah and his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and in the same incident we see Umar radiallahu anhu gives half of everything that he owns you have those stories of the likes of Abu Talha and Abu Dahdah and even Umar radiallahu anhum all of them who had different types of lands or they had farms or they had whatever they had and each one of them wanting to simply give it away in some type of charity or some type of sadaqah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you have the example of the likes of Uthman radiallahu an, who gives charity over and over again to the extent that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam guarantees for him Jannah. These are people who are going over and above their level. They have what they have and they know what their means are but they want to do more. And so they will go for not the easiest option and that doesn't again diminish from doing the easy option in terms of it is still good, it is still khair, it is still ibadah, it is still good deeds. But there's a person who doesn't want to just do the minimum. Just as they don't want the minimum reward in Jannah, they're not happy just to be with the minimum in terms of reward and status and level in Jannah. They want to be in the highest ranks. They want to be from the people of Firdaus. They want to be in the companionship of the Prophet ﷺ and the other Prophets and the martyrs and the righteous and, and so on. They want to be in the highest levels. So to do that, they also have to spend and give and try more than what other people would do. And so this is what Allah is referring to here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us these amazing blessings, whether it's the blessings of the body and the mind, whether it's the blessings that we have externally of our health or our wealth, or our family, whatever else that Allah has given to us, what is it that we're going to do with them? There's a minimum amount that we have to do. <clears throat> That's an obligation. You can't do any less than that. And then there is an amount or a level that is higher than that. It is above, over and above that. It is something which a person does more of because they realize that this world is, temp- that this world is temporary, that this world has a very limited impact and it's, 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 uh, you know, its longevity is very limited and that there is a different life in another world that is everlasting and forever. And so they understand the perspective and so they will work for something that will last forever as opposed to putting all of the effort, which unfortunately most people do. They put all of their effort in what is a temporary existence, even if it lasts a hundred years, it is still the blink of an eye in the history of time and in the future of everything that Allah Azza wa has planned on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. It's the blink of an eye. But they will put all of those efforts into that small existence and forget about the existence that lasts forever. And that is no doubt the handiwork of shaitan, that he can make us forget that very simple fact and very simple truth. Most of us in our own lives, we understand the importance, or we understand at least the logic of having a long-term plan. Right? When you go to when our parents sent us to school, or as parents now when we send our children to school, we know that the child that goes into school at age four, five years old, their journey of education won't finish until they're like 21. That's when they graduate from university. That's a 15, 16 year plan for their education. And then even after that, they may do more. If they want to go into medicine, they will have years of training and years of, of doing other types of uh, qualifications that they need to do. The same thing if they want to become a, a lawyer. Same thing if they want to become some other types of experts or they want to go on to do on a, a master's or a PhD. 
We know a good portion of their life, 15 to 20 years, is going to be spent on education. Now, if you were to have that same short time, kind of short term kind of mindset, why spend 20 years when they can start doing something else right now, or maybe they could be busy with something else? We wouldn't get that far. The businessman has the same type of understanding in terms of setting up their company. If they have a grand plan, they know how to how to have that 5, 10, 15, 20 year plan within their business. It is the same, therefore, for the person then who wants to attain the akhirah and the, and the, and the reward of Allah Azza wa Jalla in Jannah. We have to have a plan as well. And we have to understand what that plan is and what that ultimate goal is. But clearly for us, the goal is going to be slightly longer. The plan is going to be slightly longer than 5 to 15 years. It is the whole duration of our, our time upon earth. And then inshallah ta'ala, the reward will be found on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So Allah mentions the first one of those things that Allah will refer to now as being the path of the Aqaba. And the first of them is Fakku Raqaba, to free a slave. Fakku as being by the meaning of freeing a slave, as it's the noun. Or in the other recitation as we mentioned of Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr and Al-Kisai, Fakka Raqaba, in the verb, that he freed a slave. And both of them are correct in terms of their meaning. Clearly, one is the concept and one is the actual, uh, the action. And some of the scholars of Tafsir, they said that they like the recitation of the verb because it shows that it's something which you actually need to do. It's not just a concept, not just a theory, but it's something which you actually need to do as well. And freeing a slave, as we mentioned uh, last week, is to free someone who is in bondage, in captivity, uh, in bondage or under slavery, to free them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether you do that individually, which is obviously better that you purchase the person all by themselves and you free them, or whether you do it with the help of others and you come together and you fundraise and you bring that together and you free them. Now clearly in our time, it's not really an issue anymore because slavery in that way doesn't really exist, but obviously existed for many hundreds of years throughout history. And Allah knows best, who knows what will happen again in the future. But anyway, the point is that it is from the greatest acts of worship that a person could perform to buy a person who's in, in bondage another Muslim and to free them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from the meanings as Shaykh Al-Thaymeen rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned as we also um, touched upon last week is the meaning that also that you free someone who may be a prisoner of war so if to free a slave and that slave is a slave for whatever reason they're a slave they're born into bondage or maybe whatever happened they're in slavery to free them is an amazing act of worship Therefore, to free someone who is a prisoner of war because they have been apprehended and now they're being imprisoned as a prisoner of war, to free them is clearly also from the meanings of this verse and also something which then comes under this general ruling. And as we mentioned last week, uh, the word raqaba means neck literally. But what it's referring to is obviously clearly the whole person and the reason why the neck is mentioned is because that's how people used to be tied up. They would be tied or they would have a rope around their neck, or they would be tied their hands to their neck, or whatever. In some way, they would be chained, and their neck would usually be the place where that rope or that chain was placed upon them. And because of that, the word raqaba was given to a type of bondage and a type of slavery. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fakku raqaba, free the neck, it means free the whole person, but clearly the neck is mentioned here. And we mentioned last week the narrations of Al-Bara ibn Azib radiallahu an in Mishkat al-Musabih and the hadith in the Tirmidhi of Abu Umamat al-Bahili radiyallahu an concerning the virtue and the reward for the person who frees someone for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala person who takes someone and frees them Allah azza wa jal for every limb that you free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frees your limb from the fire and we mentioned the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that it's not possible for a child to repay their parents and to do good to them as their parents did towards them except for the person, the person that finds one of their parents a slave and he purchases their freedom and frees them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And clearly, as soon as he purchases his father or his mother, that person becomes free. That's the general ruling. So the general ruling or the strongest opinion in this issue is, and I, th- I believe is the position of the majority of the scholars, and there is a hadith to that effect as well. And that is that a person who buys someone who is a family relative of theirs they are freed immediately because a child can't own their father you can't be the master of your father and your own mother and so as soon as they buy them they are automatically freed even if that person doesn't utter and say the statement that they are freed but that's how it works the person buys their parents with the intention that they will be freed it is from the greatest 
acts of worship that a person can perform and it is something which is extremely heavy upon the scales of good deeds. So that's uh, generally speaking in a, in, in, in a brief uh, format the summary of what we did last week. In verse number 14, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions the second thing that a person can do. And he says, To feed at a time of hunger. And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Harim uh, Muhsin Khan, or giving food in a day of hunger or famine in brackets. Mufti Taqi, or giving food in a day of hunger, Sahih International, or feeding on a day of severe hunger. And this also, this verse, the word ita'am is the noun, feeding. And it is mentioned in the recitation as, as with the previous verse in the recitations of Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr al-Basri and al-Kisa'i alayhi rahmatullah that it also comes in the verb form. They don't say ita'amun, they say aw at'ama. Aw at'ama. At'ama fi yawmin dhi mas'aba. Or he fed. So again, taking it from the concept, turning into the verb, which means the action. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here, aw ita'amun fi yawmin dhi mas'aba. To feed at a time of hunger, meaning a general time of hunger. Not to feed someone because they're hungry or feed someone because you're hungry. It means a general type of hunger, right? and as we will see, inshallah ta'ala. And that's what Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala chose as his tafsir of this verse. Fi waqti maja'ah. Maja'ah means it is a time of general hunger. So a person can be hungry right? because they don't have much food. They're poor. They don't have much food. That person may be poor, but the general community, the general society, everyone else is okay. They have food, they have you know, money, they have wealth, and everything for them is okay, as is the situation of many of us, alhamdulillah, who live in the Western countries. Alhamdulillah, we're, we're, we're very comfortable, and Allah Azzawajal has provided for us, and we have enough for us and our families in terms of food and drink and sustenance. But within our communities, within our cities, within our towns, within our countries, we know there are people who are homeless, we know there are people who are who go hungry, there are people who are poor and needy. That person is poor and they're hungry, but it's not a general time of hunger. The verse here is referring to not just a person who is hungry, it's referring to a general state of hunger, maja'a. Whether that's due to drought, whether it's due to famine, whether it may be due to some war, uh, you know, because there's a war and people have to ration as they used to have to do in, in these types of countries during the world wars, World War One, World War Two, people would have to ration, they wouldn't have enough food. And so therefore it becomes a time of maja'a, a general time of starvation, of hunger. And when that takes place, this is why it is aqaba. Because if I'm very comfortable, alhamdulillah, I have enough for me and my family. What I do is I go and I, I, I go and I feed someone who needs something. I help someone who is slightly less fortunate than me. But for me, it's not a problem because I know at home, my fridge is stocked, right? My larders are stocked, my, my kitchen is full of food. Even if it's not full of food, I can go to the shops, alhamdulillah, the supermarket, I can buy what I need, I can order what I need, it's easy for me. But if it was a time of general hunger, a time of general drought and famine, everyone is struggling. There's not enough for anyone. Now to feed, that is a different meaning. It is of a different level, as opposed to the person who, who uh, you know, as opposed to the person <coughs> who finds something for themselves, even though other people don't. And that is why Allah chooses this particular verse. Ita'am, as we know, to feed someone is from the greatest acts of worship anyway, as the Prophet told us uh, when he came at the beginning to, after his migration to Medina, from the very first things that he said to the people is that they should feed the people. Feed the people. But this is not just feeding the people. It's not you just cooking for your family and your friends and your relatives and even the people that may need it in your community. It is feeding people at a time when you don't even have enough for yourself and your family. You're worried for yourself and your family, but you're still willing to help others and to take that extra step. And that's why Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala said also in terms of the word masghaba, that it's referring to that general time of starvation and hunger. And that's also a narration of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah and it is uh, similar to the statements that you will find of Ikrima and of Dahak and Qatada, alayhim rahmatullah from the early scholars of Tafsir. Ibrahim al-Naqa'i rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar, but he said it in a different way. 
He said, في يوم ذي مسغبه قال يوم فيه الطعام عزيز. He said, يوم ذي مسغبه is a time or a day in which it is difficult to find food. It is hard to find food because of how less it has become. Right? How less it has become. And so therefore, it is something which the general state of the people. So it's not just referring to a time of hunger, uh, or a situation, an individual situation of hunger, but rather a general time of hunger. Fiyomin, right, on a day, meaning a time, a general time, not necessarily only one day, but it is the general situation. Maybe there's an extreme drought, extreme famine. There is like a, a, a maybe a major war going on in an area which prevents them from then having enough aid and enough food coming into them. And even during that time, they will share what they have with others who are as less fortunate as them, or maybe even more so. And Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala said something very similar in also one of his narrations. He says, في يوم يشتها فيه الطعام On a day in which people need food, right? They crave and they long for food. And that's why Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, وَطْعَامُ الطَّعَامِ فَضِيلَةِ To feed people at any time is a virtuous thing. It's a rewarding act of worship. وَهُوَ مَعَ السَّغَبِ الَّذِي هُوَ الْجُوعُ أَفْضَلِ but at a time of general starvation and hunger, it is even better. And so just as the freeing of the slave is something which is not just any type of charity or any type of helping an individual, it is the highest form of charity that you can give. And that is why it was the position of uh, Imam Abu Hanifa, I don't know if you mentioned this last week, but Imam Abu Hanifa was of the position that when it comes to charity, the best type of charity is to free a person. Because it's not just giving someone enough for a day or a week or a month or even a year. It is helping someone buy the freedom, their freedom and giving them the ability to be their own master, if you like, to have control over their own lives. Likewise, in verse number 14, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying it's not just about feeding people, it is to feed people at a time when you don't have enough for yourself. And that's something which we know generally from the sunnah that the Prophet wasallam encouraged. When he would say, that the best type of sadaqah is to give it when you don't have enough for yourself. You fear poverty for yourself. You need it. You fear poverty for yourself, but you're still willing to spend. That is better than the charity that is given when a person is extremely comfortable. And that charity doesn't make a big dent into their money or into their wealth, nor does it make a big have a big impact in terms of their life. No doubt it is still a good deed, and no doubt there is still much reward to be gained, even in that other type of charity. But we're speaking now not just about the basics or just the general types of charity, the highest levels of these acts of worship that a person can perform. And so we have these two things that are extremely, uh, it shows you what Allah Azza wa is referring to when it comes to Aqaba. And now this concept is a concept in our religion that we understand from a number of hadith also, and that is the concept of Ihsan, of having a level of excellence, of doing something to the best of your ability. As the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the famous hadith, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَتَبَ الْإِحْسَانَ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Allah has prescribed excellence, legislated excellence upon everything that you do, even in the way that you sacrifice, slaughter. فَإِذَا ذَبَحْتُمْ فَأَحْسِنُوا الْدِبْحَةِ If you're going to come now and you're going to slaughter the animal, there is a manner of excellence that is dictated by the sharia in order for that to be something which is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, Ihsan is something which you, you, you have generally within our religion. And that's why the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he was speaking about the levels in the famous long hadith of Jibreel Alayhi salam, which is the first hadith that is collected in Sahih Muslim. It is the first hadith that Imam Muslim mentions. The hadith of Umar radiallahu anhu when Jibreel Alayhi salam, comes in the form of a man and he asks the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about Islam and Iman and Ihsan. He asks him about those three levels. And when those three levels are mentioned together, there is a differentiation between them. Islam is the open outward actions that you do. Iman is the inner actions of the heart, your belief system. And Ihsan is the highest level of that. And that is, That is to worship Allah as though you see Him, even though you do not see Him, then know that He sees you. If Allah was to be in front of us right now and we, we could see Him with our own eyes in this life, how amazing would our salah be? How amazing would it be? Or how amazing would our sense of charity be? If you could literally see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right now before you, how would you pray before him? How would you give sadaqah? How would you fast? How would you speak? How would you behave? 
how would you think everything, right? And so it is the highest level, and it is the most difficult level because it is the most difficult to keep in mind. It is the most difficult to focus upon, to be in that constant state of consciousness and awareness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all seeing, all hearing, all knowing. It's as if he is before me, Jalla fi ula, and I can see him right now, right here. That is something which is extremely difficult to do, except for those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted them his blessings and his mercy. Shaitan can come, and he often comes, and he does come, and he takes our mind away from that type of thinking. And so this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning here those people who have that level and that sense that they need to do more of excellence. That Allah Azza is watching that their time on this earth is limited. And so they're going to do what they can to the best of the means that uh, to the best of the means that they have at their disposal. And so this person is going to free the slave that they find. This person is going to go and feed people at a time when they themselves are hungry and needy. And we have examples of this in the Sunnah as well, where the companions would help one another, but at the head of them, the Prophet وسلم, like in the famous hadith of Abu Hurairah where the Prophet saw him extremely hungry one day and he told him to come home. And the only thing that he found at home was a bowl of milk. So he said to Abu Hurairah, take this bowl of milk and go to the people of As-Suffa, who were the homeless companions who used to reside and live and sleep in the masjid of the Prophet وسلم, in Medina, go to them and give it to them. Give it to them first. Because the Prophet is in need himself. He doesn't have anything. Only finds a bowl of milk, hasn't eaten for a number of days, no fire has been lit, surviving on water and the basics. But he knows that there's other people in Medina in a situation similar to him. Abu Hurairah is one of them, but there are a number of other companions as well who are living in the masjid at that time. And so the Prophet was from amongst those people who practiced this verse of the Quran. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <clears throat> in verse number 15 he says Yatiman Dhamaqaraba an orphaned relative. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying now uh, and that is the translation of, of Professor Abdul Halim. I think the translations will be very similar. Muhsin Khan to an orphan near of kin uh, same, the same translation is given by Mufti Taqi, uh, an orphaned relative, Professor Abdul Halim and Sahih International, an orphan of near relationship. So this is a person now who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that this is a person now who looks after those people who have the most right upon him. When it comes to giving charity, we know generally, uh, as I'm sure we're all aware, that giving charity is an extremely virtuous, rewarding act. But to begin that charity with the people who most need it in terms of your closest family and relatives, it is better than giving it to someone who is a stranger. And clearly that is a fluctuating issue. At times it may be better to give it to someone who is further away. It is sometimes an issue of looking at the different factors, but we're speaking about generalities. We're speaking about the general norm. The general norm is to give it to someone who is closer to you in relationship is better than to give it to someone who is not related to you. Why? Because you get the double reward. <coughs> you get the reward of the charity and you get the reward of fulfilling your ties of kinship and joining your family relations. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here says, Yatiman the maqraba. Yatiman the maqraba. Why yatim? Why yatim? Why is it the yatim that comes here? The yatim is mentioned here and we'll, 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 we'll come on to who the Yatim is and so on shortly. Um, but the Yatim is mentioned here is because a Yatim is an orphan and the orphans generally are the ones who are neglected. A person who has parents that look after their interests, who has a father that will stand up for them, who will earn for them, who will try to look after them, will try the, his best to provide for them, is someone that the Yatim doesn't have. The orphan doesn't have the father figure to provide and to look after their interests. And they are often therefore forgotten, especially in the t early times of Jahiliyyah, pre-Islam. It was very common that if a person's father passed away and they became an orphan, that their own relatives would oppress them. That his own uncles and, 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 and the people, the other male relatives, senior male relatives from his uncles and, and those types of people would come in sometimes and they would take their wealth. Right? They would take the money and they would think that it belongs to them and there is even a hadith in the sunnah that we find where uh, where the father would pass away 
and the wife would be left with her young children, sometimes just daughters. And so she would come to the Prophet وسلم, and say, O Messenger of Allah, these women, these girls, they have nothing left. And their uncles, meaning her, her former husband, their father's brothers, who are her paternal uncles, they have come and they have taken all of their wealth. And that was a very common practice in the times of Jahiliyyah. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again could have said any relative because clearly to give sadaqah to any one of your relatives, even if there's not an orphan, is something which is extremely rewarding. But Allah again here is looking at the higher level, right? The people who are even more neglected. So you have a family member who is poor, right? And so you help them. But then you have a family member who's not only poor, but they're an orphan and no one really looks towards them or helps them or thinks about them. That person has more of a right. And so these people are extremely poor, right? Yatim and the maqraba. And yatim generally, a yatim generally is poor. If the yatim isn't poor and they have money, maybe their parents uh, left them a great deal of wealth, they inherited from their parent or their father a great deal of wealth because their parents happen to be wealthy. And so there are people then who will most likely look after their interests because they also benefit from some of that wealth. They can also spend upon it. Uh, from it upon themselves to a certain level and a certain extent. Those a tam, those types of orphans are the exception to the general rule. The general rule is that the yatim is someone who doesn't have much and not many to look after them as well. And that's why the uh, the uh, issue here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning is that Allah Azza wa is speaking about the yatim. And the yatim is the one who is in dire need. Not only is this person a yatim though, an orphan, he's a yatim that is closely related to the maqaraba, from the word qurb. And qurb means someone who has nearness to you. How do they have nearness to you? Because of their blood relationship to you. They are related to you. So this person is poor, number one. Number two, they are an orphan. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ spoke about the rights of the orphan and the rewards of looking after an orphan. Right? And that is that the Prophet said, I am the one who sponsors the orphan will be like this in Jannah. And kafala in the Arabic language, when it's referred to what it's in the Sharia, what it's referring to is when you take that orphan under your custodianship directly and you look after their affairs and you spend upon them. And that's why many of the, you know, like this issue that we have in our modern time, and it's an issue of difference of opinion, but we need studying and thinking about where you sponsor an orphan from afar, you send some money and you just give it there and you say, okay, it's done. Is that the same thing as what the Prophet is referring to in this hadith? No, that, that's still a good deed. It's an act of sadaqah and there is much good and reward, inshallah ta'ala, within it. But again, we're speaking about the higher level. The higher level, it seems, and Allah Azza knows best, but it seems that it's not referring to just giving sadaqah from afar and just helping someone. That's just general sadaqah. The kafaratul yatim, which is the custodianship of the orphan, is when you're actually looking at a, in an active way after the interests of that child. And it's happening on a regular basis. And you're spending on them and you're looking at their needs and you're, and you're helping them and you're advising them and, and so on and so forth. That is kafaratul yatim. And that is why it has a higher level of reward because it is, it is a higher level of responsibility. As opposed to someone who gives a sadaqah that may go to orphans, but it's not really sponsoring them in the sense that they don't really understand, that you don't have a relationship with them, that, that, that orphan can't come and stay at your house or eat from your food or ask you for your help or seek your advice. It is a very distant relationship. It is more akin to just any every other type of sadaqah that a person gives. But to do it in this way, where you're actually uh, looking after the orphan, you have an orphan within your family and you bring that person under your care, or you're, you're actively involved in caring for that child, that is from the greatest acts of worship that a person can perform for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is not uncommon. How many, and remember, because as we will come on to, the yatim uh, is someone who doesn't have a father. How often is it the case in families that the father passes away, maybe? And the mother's left now with children. And maybe, you know, the mother's not related to the family. She's an outsider to the family, but she's the mother and she has children. How many of those members of the, of the father's family, from his siblings and his relatives, will pay attention to that, that person who is like a nephew to them, or it is their nephew? It's not always the case. It's not always something which people take for granted. There are many people who then 
have a very distant relationship with that family because clearly the person that linked them, which was the father, is no longer there in the equation. And they're just children. And so that's something which you actually find commonly uh, in places, even in the West, in our families, in our communities. How do we look towards those people? So the concept of orphanage or an orphan in the Arabic language, as we will come on to shortly in, in slightly more detail, isn't just the one who doesn't have any parents. But actually it is slightly wider in the sense that anyone that doesn't have a father is considered to be a yateem. Al-Imam al-Tabari said, yateem and dha maqraba. He said, oh, this person feeds someone who is extremely, uh, feeds someone on a day in which there is general hunger and general need. And this person is also small, young, and they have no father, meaning that they are an orphan that is related to you. So it's as if an Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, join all of this together. Who are you feeding on that day of extreme hunger and need? You're looking after the people that need it most, such as your relative that happens to be an orphan. And that's why in the hadith in Al-Nasai of Salman ibn Amir al-Dabbi, he said that the Prophet said, In Giving charity to the poor is charity. But giving it to a family member that is also poor is two things. It is charity and it is joining the ties of, of kinship. So Imam Al-Qurtubi said something very similar. He said that Allah is showing us here that just it is not just about giving charity, but it is about giving the, the, the greatest type of charity. And that is, uh, and that is, the one that you give charity to is the one that is most needy. He's an orphan that's related to you. There's a relationship there as well. That person is more needy than the one who is simply poor, but maybe they have the ability to earn or they have the ability to find some types and means of things by themselves as well. And as Ibn Ashur said, and as we touched upon a short while ago, the yatim is the person who doesn't have a father. And they are below this, the age of... of uh, of puberty. So once they reach like 16, 15, 16, 17, 18, they're able to illegally work and earn and, and so on, they kind of stop becoming an orphan, right? Otherwise someone, otherwise a person would, would stay an orphan for the rest of their lives. Orphan, orphans are usually referring to children. Once they reach adulthood, then they're not really referred to as being orphans anymore. And remember that our own Prophet وسلم, was an orphan because his father passed away وسلم, whilst he was uh, still a baby and so therefore the Prophet was an orphan so there is no shame in any way of being an orphan Allah chose it for his Prophet but it is someone who generally people don't really think about they don't really pay any attention to they don't really uh, look towards their rights in verse number 16 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on to say oh miskeen and dha matraba or a, perp- or a poor person in distress, meaning if it's not a yatim that you find that is of relative of yours, then the miskeen the matraba. Muhsin Khan said, or a poor person cleaving to dust out of misery. Mufti Taqi or to a needy person lying in dust, and Sahih International or a needy person in misery. So some of them have gone for like Muhsin Khan and Mufti Taqi have gone for the more literal translation, Professor Abdul Halim and Sahih International for not the literal translation, but the general meaning of, of the verse. What does it mean, a person who is a miskeen? What does that refer to? The teacher of our teacher, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqeet, he said that the word miskeen comes from the word sukoon and sakina. And sukoon is basically tranquility. Sukoon in the Arabic language means it is the opposite of movement, it is stillness. And that's why sakina is called tranquility, because your heart is still, it's at peace, it is content. And it is called, uh, the miskin is called miskin from this word because the person who is miskin doesn't have much. They don't have much need to move. They don't go to work. They don't need to go and shop. They don't, they don't have much to give anyway. They don't have much need to do anything, to earn or to, or to buy or to sell. And so they kind of like just sit in one place, as we you know, often see in many cities across the world where the poor people just kind of stay in one place and they just sit there and they ask people to help them as they walk by. They don't really move much or they don't really... Uh, you know, they're not really busy in terms of their movements and their work and so on because they don't have anywhere to go. 
don't have a house to go to perhaps they don't have a job to go to they don't have much money to go and buy things they don't have many people around them often they've been abandoned by many people that perhaps before were their friends and family members and so on and so it is from that word that the word miskin comes and as for the word <coughs> faqir right which is also usually translated as being a poor person the faqir comes from the word faqra and faqra is basically the uh, the the hole that is dug by insects in which they then go and burrow and they stay there and it has pretty much the same meaning in the sense that the faqir is someone who's literally just maybe staying in one place kind of like a hole that they find for themselves out in the streets they find a place that they make their own under maybe a bridge or in some type of shelter they just make for themselves and that is where they stay and that is where that word comes from as well other scholars say no it comes from the word qifar uh, which is uh, or faqar which is basically your backbone your spine the faqar is your backbone or backbone and so they said that because that is the, the the backbone is needed for you to be able to move and walk if you've done your back in if you've hurt your spine as you know it is extremely painful and difficult to move so some of the scholars said it comes from that word but it has a very similar meaning the miskin and the faqir Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala he says that when these two words are mentioned individually just the word miskin or just the word faqir both or each of those words then will 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 uh, will encompass the other so when we say miskin by itself like in this verse oh miskin and the matraba the miskin and the faqir are both mentioned or if Allah Azza wa is mentioned just the fuqara then it means miskin and faqir as well but when they're mentioned together then they have a different meaning like for the verse in of zakah your sadaqah is for the fuqara and the masakin. Some of the scholars said they're one and the same, no difference. But the majority of the scholars said no. Allah doesn't just repeat something for the sake of repeating it. There must be a difference between the two. And then they differed in terms of what is the difference between the two. Perhaps one of the, uh, the, the, the more well-known positions uh, concerning this is that the miskin is someone who is slightly better off than the one who is faqir. Some of the scholars said the faqir is someone who doesn't have anything to their name. The miskin has something to their name, but it's not enough for them to survive on. And they use the verse in Surah Al-Kahf, in the story of Musa al-Khadr salam, when they go on the ship, uh, you know, that incident of the ship, and Khadr salam says at the end of that incident, or the end of that passage, he says, أَمَّا السَّفِينَةِ فَكَانَتْ لِمَسَاكِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ فِي الْبَحْرِ As for that ship it belonged to, the masakin, poor people who worked on, on, on the ocean or on the sea, shows that they have something to their name, but it's not enough for them, right? So a, a miskin, and this is sometimes a misconception that people have. Someone may live in a house, may even drive a car, own a car, doesn't mean that they have enough money. They can still be miskin, right? Maybe the council gave them, or the or the government gave them some type of accommodation. Maybe they have a car that they bought with whatever money they had before, or someone's gifted to them, whatever they have. But it's not enough for them to provide for their family. They can't pay their bills. They can't feed their children. They can't buy them new clothes and so on. And so you can still be a miskin. That seems to be the position of many of the scholars. And it's, it seems to be the position, Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best, that the, and it's the position of the majority, uh, that the, uh, that the, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin also shows, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And he mentions the hadith, uh, in which the Prophet said, Allahumma hayyini miskin wa mitni miskina. Oh Allah, let me live as a miskin and die as a miskin. But that's a weak narration. There's a weak narration that is collected in a Nawawi uh, by, Imam, uh, by, by Imam Tirmidhi and others. Uh, but we know for sure though that the Prophet sought refuge from poverty. Right? He said, Allahumma in ya'udhu bika min al faqr Oh Allah, I seek your refuge from faqr as is mentioned in Abu Dawood and Nasa'i and the Muslim Imam Ahmad and others. And so the Prophet sought refuge from faqr. And the Prophet said that it is evil because it causes a person to have to lie and to and to break their promises and because they just need money by hook or by crook, they just need to get some money. And so that seems to be the case and Allah Azza wa knows best. Either way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is saying this miskeen person, the matraba. He said, There is nothing between this person and the ground. It's as if they have uh, they have stuck themselves to it. And Imam al-Bukhari says something very similar. He said, The one who has fallen 
upon the ground or upon the dust, essentially meaning that they have nothing to their name. Right? They have nothing to their name. And that's what Imam Al-Tabir mentions, uh, that matraba means the one who is dusty, right? they're stuck with dust, they're just dusty because of the way that they're living. And he said that that was the statement, uh, the, the position of Ibn Abbas and Mujahid and Ikrimah, Another said, no, it refers to a person who is extremely poor. It's not referring to the physical dustiness of a person that they're physically on the ground lying in dust, but it means that they're extremely muhtaj, extremely needy, as if they just only have the dust of the earth that they can uh, rely upon. They don't have anything else. And that's also mentioned as being a statement of Ibn Abbas and Ikrimah, which shows to you, therefore, again, the fact that they say this and that, that yes, it has both meanings in the sense that the meaning of the verse is that it's referring to a dire need of the person who is miskin. And Allah Azza wa mentions a trait from the traits of the people who are generally in that situation, and that is that they're often dusty and disheveled. Right? And obviously we're speaking here, uh, you know, in particular in, in, in countries like Mecca and Medina, in places like Mecca and Medina, where it is desert and it is extremely dusty in terms of their environment. And others, such as Sa'id bin Jubair and Qatada, and Abdu'l-Haq said that it refers to someone who has a great big family, who is, because of that family, because of the need of providing for that family, they have fallen onto extreme, into extreme distress and upon extremely hard times. And all of those uh, positions are very clear or very close and very similar, as Ibn Kathir, he said, All of these positions are very close. Whether it's, you know, you're poor because you have a big family that you can't provide for, you can't look after them, or whether it's because you're simply in hard times, the meaning of the verse is essentially the same and there is not really a major difference of opinion in the way that those verses are and Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically mentioning these as being the greatest acts of worship that a person or some of the greatest acts of worship and the most difficult acts of worship that a person can, can do. And that is to free a slave because slaves are extremely expensive. To buy someone's freedom is extremely costly or to feed people and help people when you are yourself in a time of difficulty because of the general situation that people are in, to find those people who are therefore the most needy and help them. And both of these actions, whether it's freeing someone or helping those people, requires more effort to search and to find and to discern and to differentiate and then to find those people and to help them in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To have that sense of ihsan and going to that next level, that is what Allah azza wa jal is, is enjoining upon us and encouraging us to do in these verses okay let me just look at some of the uh, let me look at some of the questions here when a word is used in the noun or verbal sense I heard that when it is used as a noun it implies continuity of the action when it is used as a verb it has a lesser weight as it could imply the action is just once is that true yes it is it is true but I think the it is the other way around from what I remember that the verb is the one that shows continuity because there is an action, and the action is continuous, whereas the noun is more of the concept, right? And so when you're performing the action, it's something which you're doing over and over again, and Allah Azza wa knows best. But it could be the other way as well, because the, the noun could be that it's a concept that you're constantly going back to and constantly performing, and Allah Azza wa knows best. Uh, Ashfaq is asking, we learned of the Jawab al-Qasim in ayah number four. <coughs> That mankind has been created in toil. Can we make a link with the subsequent ayahs and ayahs we're studying now back to that jawab? Yes, in the sense that everything is connected in the surah. So when Allah Azza wa says that He created man in toil, in hardship, in difficulty, and Allah Azza wa is saying that we gave you these blessings, therefore what are you going to use them for? Some people will use them, and they're unfortunately the majority, to fail at those toils and hardships that Allah Azza wa has placed in their way. Those hardships that come to them, they will fail in them. And the few, the minority, will use those blessings to overcome those toils and hardships and to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Samira is asking, during the pandemic, many people jumped the queue to get the vaccine when the eligibility had not yet come. Could you apply verse 14 to this? <clears throat> Allahu alam. I mean, from what I understand, I don't know uh, what it's referring to, but anyway... Uh, if it's the case that you, by taking that position, you stopped someone who had more right, then that's something which is different. But if it's, for example, something which is like a walk-in center, which was the case in many places, 
or for example some people never used to turn up for their appointment they'd miss it <coughs> and as we know some of these vaccines had to be stored at a certain temperature and once they were taken out they had to be used or they'd go to waste and so on there was a lot of stuff going on i don't think it's good to look uh, too deeply into this unless someone did that on purpose where they took the position of someone who was more in need and they took that position out of selfishness and and just being self-centered that's a different issue but if it was generally the situation where people were allowed to come and do this which may have been the case in a number of places then you know it's not necessarily something which is a bad thing and Allah knows best are we saying that giving sadaqah to a family member is more rewardable even if the need is not dire compared to giving sadaqah to a non-family member who is in dire need so that's why i said we're talking about just a general rule we're talking about a situation where everyone is a miskin, that people are generally poor and they're generally of a similar, similar level of, of, of poverty. And then you give it to someone who is closer to you because they have more need. Or you give it to that person who's your relative because other people don't know about them as much. Whereas other people maybe who are generally poor, there's other charities and people that may help them. Right? So sometimes you know, like people have in their families or even in our communities, you have people who are in need. But because of their, their self-respect, because of their self-honor, they don't go and ask and they don't beg. And, but the people who are close to them are related to them, they know this person's in need. They know they need financial help. Just that they aren't of that position. You know, they have ta'affuf as Allah calls it in the Quran. They are people of honor. They're not going to go and beg because it's something which they know is not a good thing. And so they try to preserve their personal honor. And that is a good thing. It's something which Allah Azza wa praises in the Quran. Those people who don't just go and hold out their hands, but they trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You may know of that situation and that person, other people may not. So there are different factors. And so we're just talking about the general, right, the general kind of concept, the general rule. But clearly you need to make that determination for yourself. If you find, for example, no one year, you know, there's people who are just generally poor, there's a mass famine. And yet I have someone who's struggling slightly in my family, but everyone else is, is in much more need than someone who's closer to me. Then maybe that year those people have more of a priority. So sometimes it is an issue of looking at benefits and harms as well. Okay, so inshallah with that we're going to conclude. Barakallahu feekum. And inshallah ta'ala until next week. And inshallah next week then we will conclude. Bithnillah ta'ala the tafsir of Suratul Balad. And then after that inshallah we will have a week or two of specials. I think most likely what we will do is we will go through another uh, tafsir from the major tafsir that we do where we look at the biography of the scholar, the author, and then we look at the methodology of that tafsir. Um, we've done so far Tabari, I think, and Jalalain and Ibn Sa'di. And so I think it would be good to do another one for this year as well. Bidnillahi ta'ala. Jazakumullah khairun uslana bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.